Good evening. This is Justin Ford in the studio for Africa Christian Action Salt and Light on Radio Tigerberg. Tonight we are discussing Christian literature for Africa. In the studio with me is Dr. Peter Hammond, the founder of Frontline Fellowship, who has been involved in serving persecuted Christians for over 40 years in 38 countries. Last week, here at Frontline Fellowship, we received guests from Kenya, a film crew from Africa Speaks, had driven down overland from Nairobi. The film producer, Kathuku Kibunga, said he was part of the Great Commission Conference that Dr. Hammond spoke at in 2000 at Kenyatta University. He had also been part of a conference Dr. Hammond spoke at in 2016 at Kabarak University. Kathuku had received Dr. Hammond's book, The Greatest Century of Missions, at that event. He had since helped launch Africa Speaks as a network of publishing professionals united to establish a viable and flourishing Christian publishing industry throughout Africa. Uh, Gathuku asked uh, Dr. Hammond many probing questions which we would like to review in this uh, show. But before we do that, Dr. Hammond, can you tell us a bit more about your experiences with Africa Speaks and Gathuku? Well, it was a tremendous conference, the Great Commission Conference in Nairobi in the year 2000, the first week of 2000 at Joma Kenyatta University was probably the greatest Great Commission Conference we've ever had. Over 3,000 people attended and participated. What a phenomenal experience. And many went out as missionaries and evangelists all over the continent and overseas even further. Um, back in 2016, our good friends in Life Challenge Africa in Nairobi asked if they could reprint my book, The Greatest Century of Missions, which is one of our bestsellers, which has 19 biographies on 19 greatest missionaries of the greatest century of missions, 19th century. And so... For that, I revised the book, expanded it, and improved it a lot. And then they reprinted. They printed 10,000 copies, which they distributed to people who came to the conferences across East Africa. That's Tanzania, Uganda, and Kenya. And so I was brought in as a guest speaker for some of those meetings. And the Kabarak University was one of the highlights where it's a Christian-based university in Kenya and absolutely tremendous, the enthusiastic group. And so I was giving insights on David Livingston, Robert Moffat, Mary Slesser, uh, other great missionaries, Hudson Taylor and so on. And they were, of course, walking away with a book with these examples of excellence. And this inspired um, Gathuku to get more involved in the publishing ministry. And, uh, and now his documentary film is to inspire this. I think it's so important we get people back to reading because a reading Christian is a growing Christian. And if you want to lead, you must read. So we need to revive the reading culture in our churches today. What are the earliest known Christian literature efforts in South Africa? Which denominations had a literature department? Well, uh, the Dutch Form Church and the Baptist Missionary Society were very uh, powerful, but uh, I think first prize has to go to London Missionary Society. Robert Moffat of the London Missionary Society brought the first printing press north of the Limpopo River. Uh, I should say north of the Orange River. He later went north of Limpopo too. His son opened up a mission station in Bulawayo, where I grew up. But uh, at Kuruman, London Missionary Society in what today is northwest, just on the outskirts of Botswana, Robert Moffat completed the translation of the first Bible into a complete African language, the Tswana language. And he printed that Bible in Tswana at Kuruman on the London Missionary Society printing press. And you can still see it at Kuruman. He later translated the whole of Pilgrim's Progress into Tswana and got that printed too. So the first book in an African language we printed north of the Orange River was Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, many other books, especially school textbooks and discipleship books, followed. So we can be grateful for that. 
Uh, Andrew Murray, of course, did a phenomenal amount in publishing, especially from Africa Institute based in Wellington. And we can see the South Africa General Mission he initiated uh, pioneered a huge amount of indigenous language translations going all the way across Africa. And I've seen the results of the work as far field as Malawi, Zambia and Nigeria. How would you compare general publishing with Christian publishing in South Africa? Well, general publishing is, of course, commercial. The goal is to be popular and to be financially successful. Whereas in Christian publishing, our first concern is to be faithful to God, faithful to the Word of God, and the goal is evangelism and discipleship. So Christian publishing um, must work on different principles, and it obviously is going to always be a problem to get enough funding for it because the most important books aren't necessarily the books that are most popular most important books, the books that are most faithful to the scripture and dealing with needs and normally cutting across the cultural fashions and fads and the tides and torrents and the whole flood of society wants to go one way and we are, of course, swimming upstream. So where secular publishing is going with the stream, uh, Christian publishing is going against the stream in many ways, going upstream against the flow. What is the influence of Christian literature on the education curriculum in South Africa? Well, not enough right now, sadly. There was a time that our education department was meant to be Christian national education. In fact, I remember seeing in the front of the Transvaal Education Department's curriculum, this curriculum is designed to bring every student into a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so Bible principles and Christian ethics were written into all the different subjects, but that's not so uh, in the last uh, three decades, we've seen our education curriculum getting more and more secular and more and more influenced by UNESCO, United Nations um, Education Trust direction, which is situation ethics, humanism, evolutionism, billions of years ago, and LGBTQ gender confusion and all the rest of it. So right now, Christian literature is not having enough uh, influence on Christian education in the country, but that is why we started our Christian Liberty Books Ministry back in 1995 to import more Christian textbooks and resources from around the world and to publish uh, more books from our perspective, like sketches from South African history in English and Afrikaans. We want more Christian influence in education, and the growth of the Christian school and homeschooling movements in South Africa is very encouraging. There's theocentric Christian education, and there's Accelerate Christian Education, ACE, which of course seek to be very thoroughly Christian. So the growth of Christian homeschooling movements and Christian school movements is a positive, but the government's education curriculum is getting definitely more secular and more, and more um, humanistic. What are the key Christian books that have played a huge role in shaping the mindset of South Africans? Well, when I was converted in 1977, I saw that all Christians in South Africa were familiar, it seems, with the works of Richard Wurmbrand, Tortured for Christ, was very popular, even known in Afrikaans. Uh, God Smuggler by Brother Andrew was in English and Afrikaans, very well known around the country. Um, the Cross and Switchblade by uh, David Wilkinson was super popular. In His Steps, a great Christian novel, um, was also very influential. Pilgrim's Progress in many languages all around the country. Those were some of the most influential back in the 70s. Right now, I think we'd mention a bunch of popular titles which probably are not so biblical and not to be recommended. But um, when I was converted, it seemed that almost every church had a track stand 
and had magazine stands and they were selling magazines like In Magazine, later Christian Living Today, and then Joy Magazines. Those were common in churches. Churches had a book table, churches had track stands and they had magazine racks. I don't think that's so anymore. In fact, you don't even see libraries in average church today, but the reading culture back in the 1970s was much higher. And um, I think that the country had a lot more good, solid Christian books as a foundation, which uh, today we need to revive. What are some of the most uh, impactful books that you have read? Well, in my life, I would say, without a doubt, Pilgrim's Progress was one of the most impactful um, in his steps. And then reading books like Fox's Book of Martyrs and uh, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born by Dr. James Kendi, who showed that everything good in our society, from education, um, hospitals, all of this comes from the teachings of Jesus Christ as example and the obedience of his followers. That basically, if Jesus had never been born, you wouldn't want to live in this world. It's that everything good in the world is a result of Christ. And if you took him out of the equation, this world would be unimaginably uh, uninhabitable. Uh, other books that greatly impacted me was The Puritan Hope by Ian Murray, which showed that far from our pessimistic, pessimillennialistic view of we're living in the last days, everything's going to get worse and worse, Antichrist is about to take everything over and burn everything down, um, which made me think I couldn't think of marriage or going to Bible college or having children. This pessimistic view of the world that everything's about to be burned up, late great planet Earth and there's a new world coming and um, uh, a distant thunder uh, like a thief in night. I mean, that was the culture when I was converted. Uh, but then the Puritan hope gave me hope for the future so that I felt I could go to theological college, could get married, could have children because the Lord who gave the Great Commission will enable us to fulfill the Great Commission. God will not predestine defeat for his people. And so that gave me great hope to plan for the future and to think multi-generationally to my great-grandchildren's generation. And uh, so the Puritan hope was absolutely tremendous by showing that the, the reformers and the missionaries of the 19th century were overwhelmingly post-millennial, people like David Livingston, William Carey, they, they believed in the vision of victory. They believed in the Puritan hope. They believed the Great Commission would be fulfilled before the Lord returned. And I think that gave me perspective, hope, and balance. So those are some very influential. Another very influential book was Evangelism Explosion by Dr. James Kendi, pointing out that better than adding to the church is multiplying the church. That if you, if you disciple everyone you evangelize to evangelize others, you can be in a ministry of multiplication. It's importance of effectively evangelizing your neighbors, but also then training them to be evangelists. The witness's job is not complete until the person you witness is witnessing. The disciple's job is not complete until your disciple is discipling others. Your job of evangelism isn't done until the person you evangelize is evangelizing others. So evangelism explosion has an exponential view of fulfilling the Great Commission and it's it's super effective. I found EE to be uh, foundational to all my work uh, since I was converted. So I'm so glad I came across James Kennedy's ministry early on. Uh, those are some very impactful books in my life, but I'd also add the uh, Tortured for Christ, the other Richard Vaughan, Brother Andrew books, David Wilkinson, I mean, they all made a great impact on me. And when I got converted reading James Dobson's books on family and uh, raising children, uh, seriously important for any family ministry is to read James Dobson's Folks and Family books. 
Um, and if you could choose, say, three books that you'd like to see in every school curriculum, which would they be? Well, I would think What If Jesus Had Never Been Born by James Kennedy, because that's just showing our Christian impact, positive impacts on all areas of life. That's super helpful. Um, I think Pilgrim's Progress is a must, absolutely tremendous. Uh, when I was at school, um, we also had Animal Farm and 1984 by George Orwell, which, although they're not Christian, were also very useful in warning us about the dangers of socialism, globalism, totalitarianism, and where the state seeks to interfere in your thought control and you have thought police and telling you what you can think, what you can say, and uh, thought crimes, that sort of thing. So I thought 1984 and Animal Farm by George Orwell was a very helpful antidote to the kind of hysteria we've seen in recent years. And what do you think of the literacy level in, of Christians in South Africa and pastors, and how does it compare to the general public's uh, literacy levels? I'd say it's not good. Um, officially, only 5% of people go to church, go into a Christian bookshop, and that's not good enough. And that's why we need to take book tables to churches. We need to have libraries in churches, because if you wait for people to go to the Christian bookshop, most won't. And when I was converted, we had over 600 Christian bookshops in South Africa. I don't know how many it is now, but it's probably under 100. Uh, we've lost, there used to be Christian bookshops all over the place, and it was a vibrant part of society, and people would be going to the bookshops for many reasons, and, you know, it would have coffee shops often attached to it and youth activities links. And right now, I think the bookshop ministries have become more like chain stores representing certain outlets, and they've lost the dynamic impact that we used to have. We had lots and lots of independent Christian bookshops, which I think is a lot healthier. So right now, it's rare to find a church with a book table or a library, and it's many communities don't even have a Christian bookshop in their community, which you wouldn't have used to find. You used to find a Christian bookshop in even some of the smallest towns. But um, right now, that's been very hard for them to survive, especially the lockdown and so on. Um, so right now, I don't think there's as much reading going on in the churches, so we need to have a concerted effort to promote book tables in churches, libraries, and maybe to have the pastor having book reviews from the pulpit and book recommendations. I know some Bible colleges that have a book report in the morning at assembly, somebody giving a summary of the book that they've read to inspire others, and it's putting book reports and summaries in uh, bulletins and church magazines and newsletters. That would help as well. What is the general reading culture in the country? How do you compare that with the evangelical community? Well, I think generally speaking, what we've now got is most people aren't reading really. They're just tweeting and um, a bit of social media where they get a bit of a thought here or there. It's not the same thing as getting delving into a book and going in full um, detail. It's like, for example, a person doing one or two exercises versus someone who hikes over a mountain. You're going to get a lot more benefits out of hiking a mountain and just doing one or two floor exercises and stretches. In the same way, when it comes to books, you're going to get a lot more out of a book than you are going to get out of uh, surfing the internet and just seeing a couple of social media posts and receiving a bit of Google suggestions and tweets. So we don't want to stay in a superficial, shallow, just following fashions and fads. We want to get into the timeless, historic examples of excellence that which has endured from some of the finest minds in history. Do you know of any ministry with a strong emphasis on uh, promoting reading? Well, when I was converted to a script union, script union was pervasive. 
in virtually every school, and their emphasis was Bible before breakfast, which is great, and they produced the daily bread. And I thought the script union was a powerful force for encouraging both Christian books and Bible reading, quiet times, devotions. And the script union camps played a very big role in my early Christian walk and one of the first ministries I got involved in. Today, I would say worldwide, it's Operation Mobilization, where they send the light trust, STL, and they've got these floating bookshops, uh, the Logos, Logos Hope and Dulos ships, which have come even to Cape Town's port. And so Operation Mobilization of George Verve is probably the greatest force in the world right now, pushing and promoting good books worldwide. What are the unique features of the Christian publishing of Christian publishing in South Africa compared with other nations in Africa? And who are some of the most popular authors in... Well, South Africa's got a very strong publishing base. There was a time when Cape Town was the greatest uh, book and Bible publishing city in the world, printing more books a year than even Stuttgart, which now is the record at this moment. So there were several reasons for that. The one thing was Bibles were tax-immune. The Bible study was tax-exempt. So when you bought Bibles, just like in the old South Africa... Bread was tax-exempt, um, no VAT, no GST, and so were Bibles. So, um, unfortunately, everything gets taxed now. Even even when you go to the dentist, they'll tax that. So, that's sad. Uh, but there was one time, and when I was converted in 1977, the South African Defence Force was the biggest funder of Bible translations and Bible printing around Africa. And the reason for this is, in the South African Army, you're... Um, voluntary tithe was automatically deducted from your salary. So uh, soldiers automatically had their tithe sent off, but it didn't go to the chaplains or the army because they had a defense budget that covered that. So it was decided that all the tithes that people had to make because it's biblical went to the Bible Society, which that's non-denominational. And it should be something every denomination would agree with who, want, who wouldn't want more Bibles out there. So the Bible study was getting millions of rands in the 70s and 80s from the South African Defence Force, from the National Servicemen's Tithes. But even more than that, you had uh, the uh, soldiers often doing initiative over and above, like soldiers at Sector 20 in Rundu produced this nice statue, which we've got in our upper room, of a kneeling South African soldier with his Bible in one hand and his rifle in the other. And this was designed and made by these soldiers, and they sold them. They sold them for 120 rand, which was about a month's salary back in the 1970s. And uh, that money went to help the Bible study translate the Bible into Kwanyama in Braille and uh, for the blind to be able to read. And so one lovely initiative, and there were many initiatives like that. So the Southern Defence Force actually was sponsoring Bibles to tunes of millions of rands a year. And... Uh, that sadly came to an end when de Klerk ended the conscription in about 1992. Um, and the Bible study has not been the same since. And of course, since 94, they've brought taxes and even for Bibles. So the Bible study has declined to the extent that we don't have a Bible study shop in most towns as we used to. And now you've got to order them online. There's not a shop you can walk into. I suppose rent and taxes got too much. They're not just not tax immune more than our, our tax. So I'd say our publishing base in South Africa has gone down a bit. And nevertheless, we still have some strong publishing houses and tremendous strong churches in South Africa. The most popular author in South African history is, without a shadow of a doubt, Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray, the Dutch foreign minister, who uh, was most associated with the 1860 revival. Uh, Andrew Murray 
who was based in Wellington and Worcester. Uh, his works, he wrote over 200 books, which have never been out of print in the last 140-odd years. They've been translated in more languages than anyone else's books, and Andrew Murray's books have been read by millions of people worldwide. He is the greatest authority on revival and deeper life and devotional life and holiness. And uh, so Andrew Murray is South Africa's greatest author of all time. I think today, modern ones, you might add Angus Buchan. He's super popular with his Faith Like Potatoes book and film and uh, his Mighty Men's Conferences. But uh, we need more authors. Popular authors in South Africa have included James Dobson, James Kennedy, uh, and uh, John MacArthur in particular, very popular. Um, I think Francine Rivers from the novel side is also very popular here. So those are overseas names. We need more local authors getting more coverage and opportunity as well. But it seems many of our Christian bookshops in South Africa don't stock South African authors. They only take foreign authors, which is tied in with often publishing companies, music places, and uh, special music tours. So often these things tie in with advertising and what's in the bookshops and what's from the publishing because the publishing agencies often own the distribution networks and the bookshops themselves. There was a time when CNA, Central News Agency, was owned by Republican Press, who also owned Republican News Agency, and Stroke Christian Books, Stroke Publishing, they were owned by the same people. So you kind of saw um, an interrelationship that they would only publish and distribute their books and their magazines, and that sort of explains how things worked. Which is the most popular discipleship material or Bible study material used in Protestant churches? And what's your analysis of how the South African church pastors invest in literature? Well, they don't invest enough, that's for sure. But um, when I was converted, I'd say Daily Bread by Script Union was the most popular, encouraging us to read the Bible with questions. What does this passage tell me about God? What does this passage tell me about man? What does it teach me about salvation? Uh, is there a prayer I need to pray? Is there... Uh, uh, a step of obedience I need to make is there a sin I need to confess and so it was a lot of questions for us to apply the Bible passage to our daily life, first to understand what's written there and what it teaches us about God but then what I must do about it I thought Daily Bread was very helpful uh, we have produced books like Old Testament Survey New Testament Survey, Putting Feet to Your Faith the South Japan book as, uh, which we found very popular Probably the most popular series I ever wrote was The Bible in a Nutshell, which was published in Joy and Yoke magazines in English and Afrikaans. So The Bible in a Nutshell, going through summarizing every book in the Bible, was very popular. Um, I'd say James Dobson's works, very popular with families, all the folks in the family materials. I found James Kennedy's books always extremely helpful. Um, but I would say today, in recent years, I've seen a lot of fashions and fads coming through, like the Prayer of Jabez or Purpose Driven Life, and so and the Tim LaHaye type Left Behind Apollyon Assassin uh, series. Those are a bit more on the superficial side, but they've become popular, but that's not necessarily what I would highly recommend. I think it's good to get back to the solid John MacArthur, James Kennedy, um, and James Dobson type books, which were the mainstay when I was converted. And which magazines have shaped the Christian mind of the average South African evangelical? Well, when I was converted, it was in magazine, which was published by Youth for Christ. And then, and that was actually sold in virtually every church. Churches had a, a 
attract standalone magazines, stand for selling in magazines, and then became Christian Living Today, very popular for a time until they started putting secular people on the cover. And then Joy Magazine and Yoich became the phenomenon of the last two decades. And so Joy and Yoich are far and away the most popular in South Africa today. Uh, Devoted is another new online magazine. And uh, Lifestyle, I've heard, is out there. But Joy and Yoich are, the, are definitely the market leaders. Which are the most readily available and popular Christian books to most Christians? Well, today, um, I would say... Unfortunately, it's a lot of those who are teaching health and wealth, name it, claim it, frame it, prosperity. Um, those seem to be the most popular and available. But we need to dig a bit to get the ones that are going to be the most helpful and the ones that over the years have shown greater depth. And for that, I would still say Andrew Murray, James Kennedy, John MacArthur, James Dobson. These are the ones that have stood the test of time. We shouldn't just go for what's most available, most popular, but what's most biblical and most God-honoring. Where do people generally go when they're looking for, to buy a Christian magazine? Well, actually, that's not too difficult. The, the local store, supermarket, tends to have uh, Joy and Yoke magazines easily available, which is very encouraging. And that's actually an interesting story how that even came about, that a Republican news agency was willing to distribute Joy because Joy was actually a first published by Republican press because they were under such attack by our ministry for publishing Scope, which was a pornographic magazine, that the uh, theologically trained chairman of the board called in John Gardner, who he had fired just a short while ago, uh, for putting too much Christian content in Personality, which was a very popular magazine. Um, he asked him to launch a Christian magazine. And he's told, you can have your own policy, you can have your own name. Only one rule, you're not allowed to have anything from Africa Christian Action because we were the ones who organized for 8,000 stores to stop stocking scope. And so the chairman of the Board of Republican uh, Press was very unhappy with us because we'd actually published his name and telephone number and so on too to ask people to tell him what we thought about the fact that he's producing the worst pornography in the country, 17% of which was distributed through CNA, which they also owned. So Republican Press, CNA, Republican News Agency all worked together. But because Joy Magazine was now being launched by them so that they could say, look, we also have a Christian magazine, we're not a pagan publisher. And so John Gardner launched Joy, and it, um, it somewhere along the line crashed and burned, but then it was brought up by Erin Georgia, and she took Joy into a whole new level. And because Joy was on the Republican News Agency network, it also had space on the shelves, which is very hard to get these days, but they were in at the ground floor. So because Republican News Agency is a distributor, and the stores have limited shelf space for magazines. Joy had a good distribution network. And the funny thing is, we actually helped push Republican press into doing it. So that's just some of the history. But it's very hard to break into the market because the distributors, the retailers, and the publishers are often owned by the same people. What quantity counts as a bestseller in South Africa? I would say anything over 5,000. In our experience, our bestsellers have been um, slavery, terrorism, Islam, we sold over 15,000 copies of Biblical Principles of Africa, English, Afrikaans, and French. We've done over 40,000. Faith on the Fine Sudan, over 15,000. Anything over 5,000 is a bestseller, I would say. Our The Pink Agenda, which now is republished as The Rise of the Gay GB and the Pink Inquisition, sold over 4,000 copies in just a space of a few months. But that was thanks to it getting banned by the Publications Control Board, the first 
booked to be banned in New South Africa. And then we got unbanned on appeal. And uh, interestingly enough, that because of all the hysteria in the media condemning it, even exclusive books were contacting us to get copies of it. And so the Pink Agenda, Sexual Revolution and the Ruin of the Family uh, was in such demand that it was even being sold in secular bookshops. So actually their tax on it made it more popular and more in demand. And so we're very grateful for that extra publicity they gave. Can you quickly advise the listeners how they can promote a reading culture in their home, school and congregation? Yes, I'd say start Christian libraries at your school, at your church, at your home, um, in your community. Uh, libraries, uh, do book reports and book recommendations from the pulpit as well or from the classroom. And uh, then I think we need a book table. Church, All churches need a book table. Um, and you can get book tables from, for example, Christian Liberty Books will give discount for sale or return um, uh, books by uh, book sellers. And uh, you can get literature for distribution, including Bible say AIDS and so on, from Literature for Africa. So in Rondebosch, contact Literature for Africa, mission at frontline.org.za, and come through uh, at Livingston House. We have tons, literally tons of Bibles and books and gospel booklets in multiple languages, and we can help provide you with magazines and help get your library up and running if you're trying to do it for a school or Bible college or um, uh, even libraries for pastors. So um, you can get theological books, discipleship books, um, and we'd make it a free, freely available from Literature for Africa. So Literature for Africa uh, for free distribution of gospel booklets and tracts and Sunday school materials or, scripts or Christian liberty books for uh, books for resale. And uh, you can contact admin at christianlibertybooks.co.za for that. Thank you very much for your time and wisdom, Dr. Hammond. Please join us next week at the same time, 104 FM on Radio Tigerberg, for the next program of Salt and Light. God bless and good night.